My name is Lynn, and you can find me on YouTube under Invisible No More, and I am a victim of child abuse and sexual abuse. I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. I spent over 25 years as an active participant in that organization. And I want to talk to you today about something called the two witness rule. The primary concern of the elders in the congregation is to do nothing to bring reproach upon Jehovah or upon Jehovah's spirit anointed congregation or his spirit anointed organization, as they refer to it. They also gave advice on going to the authorities. And they said that that was totally up to me and that I had the right to do so. But please keep in mind that we never want to do anything to bring reproach on Jehovah or his organization, which basically leaves a victim that is indoctrinated and brainwashed in this religion with great feelings of guilt, not only about what happened and the circumstances, but feelings of guilt if they do go to the authorities. Now, in my case, I did eventually seek the help of a counselor. And since there were other victims of abuse living in the house, I was advised that if I did not go to the authorities, that she would have to report it in order to protect the safety and well-being of another person. So I did eventually go to the authorities. And I made a report. However, nothing really came of it. An investigation was made. And since there wasn't physical evidence that they could go by, all they could take was my statement and my perpetrator's statement. I was the victim of child abuse, which was physical abuse, at the hands of my adopted parents uh, pretty much the entire time that I lived in their home from about four years old until I left their home at the age of 27. And the sexual abuse happened at the hands of my adopted father. A little bit about him. He was brought into the truth by a very well-known old-timer. And this old-timer happens to be the father-in-law of a man named Richard Ash. And the only reason that I mention Richard Ash is because he is very well-known. You can find him on YouTube. And he's a representative of the society, and he had to give a deposition regarding sexual abuse and pedophilia and how it's handled in the organization. So my stepfather was brought into the truth, and my adopted mom was brought into the truth by this old-timer, very well known in the organization. And my adopted father was a Vietnam vet suffered severely from what I now know to be post-traumatic stress disorder. And this is something that a lot of people will recognize that Jehovah's Witnesses tend to have a lot of success recruiting people who have had very traumatic and very difficult circumstances in their life. Post-traumatic stress being one, victims of domestic abuse being another, um, war veterans. So a lot of these people are looking for something in their life. They're looking for answers as to why these horrible things happen to them and so forth. And they're looking for solutions. They're looking for hope. 
And so they tend to have a lot of success with these types of people. So my abuse happened when I was a child, as far as the physical, the sexual happened when I was already an adult. And this happened through means of being drugged and sexually assaulted by my adopted father. Now you can understand that using the two witness rule of the Watchtower Society, a person needs to be able to produce another witness to the alleged sexual abuse that went on. And as you can imagine, most pedophiles as well as perpetrators of sexual abuse or sexual assault do not have someone else standing there in the room when this happens. As a matter of fact, they're very careful to not have anyone else around because they don't want to be found out. And this extends the amount of time that they can perpetrate sexual assault against their victim. So in my case, I did not have someone who physically witnessed the sexual assaults, and there were three, at the hands of my stepfather. Now, my stepfather was a well-respected elder. He was a member of the hospital liaison committee. He was the secretary of the congregation for a while, back when we had presiding overseer and secretary. He was a member of the regional building committee, which I too joined. And for a while I was in the first aid department and then I was in the framing department. So he was very well respected, not only in the local congregation, but he was very well known and very well respected in the district. Um, he had circuit parts at the circuit assemblies. And so his name was widely known and he was very well respected. So when I came forward with my allegations of sexual abuse, I went to an elder who was a Bethelite that had been dismissed from Bethel along about 2006, 2007. And you may remember a letter went out to the congregation saying that we were going to have the blessing of having these dear ones sent out into the field. And he was an older gentleman. Um, <clears throat> had spent many years at Bethel, all of his uh, young manhood. And so my family offered the use of a travel trailer that was on our property as a temporary residence for him until he could find something more appropriate. He actually wound up staying there for a year. And this really worked to our benefit or to my benefit in that he was able to put together a lot of the things that I was telling him about alcohol abuse being a big part of our family. Uh, he actually could see things like all of the bottles in the garbage can since we shared a common garbage can and things like that. So I had, I was believed by him, but it was very difficult to get any of the other elders to believe me. And when you go to the elders with something like that, generally you go to one elder and you tell them what happened. And they will put together a judicial committee, which is two other elders. So you wind up as a victim having to go through all of the gory details, all of the very traumatic specifics with one elder. 
sometimes in multiple phone conversations, which was in my case because I no longer lived in the area. And then when they put together the judicial committee, you have to go through everything all over again, all of the gory details. And they ask you in-depth questions about things, um, warning, graphic information, no children around. They ask you very intimate details of your sexual assault, such as um, penetration, uh, objects that were used, body parts that were used, the number of times. Um, and they ask you things that will tend to make you feel guilty as well, such as were you drinking at the time? Uh, were you taking any prescription medication? Um, do you feel that you played any role in this happening to you? And those questions are very traumatic because it makes you relive the entire event all over again. And they will ask you questions about how your body functioned during the sexual assault, whether you gained any pleasure from it, all of these different kinds of things. So getting back to the two-witness rule, I obviously could not produce at that time an actual witness to the sexual assault. However, there was another victim of physical abuse that was living in the home during the time that this was occurring. She was a Bible study of my parents, and briefly, her son lived with us as well when I was a child. And he, too, was a victim of severe physical abuse. So it took me seven years total to get in touch with the authorities, to get in touch with Adult Protective Services and have them interview this other lady that was living in the home, which initially she denied anything was happening. And after some time of the elders as well as the authorities making repeat visits to the home with her, she did eventually come forward and say that the allegations of physical abuse that she had endured, which I had witnessed, were indeed true. I was also able to get in touch with her son, and he was able to corroborate the physical abuse that I suffered as a child, as well as himself and his mother. So that being the case, eventually this qualified as going under the two-witness rule, at least to the allegations of physical abuse, if not the sexual. And so that's how they applied the two-witness rule, is that there had to be some other, without a confession from my perpetrator, which there never was, it was always denied by my stepfather, there had to be another person to corroborate. And so that's what happened in my case. There were two other people that eventually came forward, and it took seven long years. So to give you a kind of a wrap-up to my story, neither one of my adopted parents ever admitted to any wrongdoing. However, after seven years, they were disfellowshipped, and they did appeal. And I had to give my testimony over again. I was asked questions about the abuse, and I was also asked questions about how I felt about it and whether or not I bore ill will towards them. And what I simply said was that at the time, 
I would be thrilled if they felt repentant over what they had done and they were able to regain a clear conscience and come back to the organization. I felt at the time like I was being tested by the elders. And again, having to give testimony about this and having to be on a conference call with the three elders of the Judicial Committee, later with the three elders of the Appeal Committee, and with my perpetrators, was a revictimization. It was very traumatic. And it's something that, while I don't regret because it gave me some sense of closure, I definitely would not recommend it uh, to everyone. That's a decision you would have to make for yourself. As far as going to the authorities, I would recommend that you don't wait as long as I did if you decide to go to the authorities. Because as we can see from the news and from all of the information that's come out, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society does not protect child abuse or sexual abuse victims. They are interested in protecting their organization in a legal way. And they do not want the negative publicity. So it's a very self-serving approach. And it does not provide for the mental health of the victims, nor frankly of the perpetrators who may have some sort of mental illness. And the elders are not certified mental health counselors. So giving medical advice, law enforcement advice, and therapeutic advice is not something they are qualified to do. So I think it's important to understand that the elders are bound by obligation and a sense of responsibility to the Watchtower Society, which is a series of legal corporations. And they have directives in writing from this legal organization about how to handle allegations of sexual abuse and physical child abuse. And those are in part written and formulated by a team of legal experts and attorneys that work for the Watchtower Society. So the primary objective is to protect them legally, the congregation as well as the organization. It is not to protect the victims. And so they will not act in your best interest. And this is something that I definitely learned the hard way. My advice on recovery from something like this is be easy on yourself. Don't be hard on yourself. A lot of people will turn to substance abuse. A lot of people will turn to self-harm or things that will be damaging to themselves or their life or their reputation. If that's something that has happened, there are hotlines that you can call if you're suicidal if you have been the victim of rape. And I'm going to ask Lady C and JT if they could put the links down below to a couple of these hotlines that people could call for help. I did make use of one of them, the rape hotline myself, and it was helpful. So be easy on yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be patient. Realize this takes years, possibly the rest of your life, to cope with, to deal with, and realize that You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. 
Just because an elder says they want you to testify or they want you to come and face your perpetrators or they want you to do this or that or make a statement or whatever it might be, you don't have to do anything that you feel is going to be a harm to your mental or emotional or physical well-being because you're free. It took me 10 years of being out of the organization to finally start to wake up. And that's only happened this last year, towards the latter part of this last year. And I'm very, very thankful that I have finally woken up. Because for a long time, I still felt like that they were right enough. They had enough of the truth, even if they didn't handle the sexual assault and the child abuse the right way. And I felt like there was going to be the strong possibility that if I didn't return, I was going to die at Armageddon. And that is something that gives you nightmares. It's something that stays in the back of your mind. And it affects the way that you live and the way that you interact with your loved ones. So definitely take the time to do your research. Follow JT and Lady C. They have excellent videos. I recommend Lloyd Evans, Barbara Anderson, um, ex-Bethelite, ex-Walkill Bethelite, and so many other resources. There's books and YouTube channels that will really help you to recover, to cope, and to know that you're not alone. Thank you for listening. This program was sponsored by Critical Thinkers.